Hey, it's been a long time since we've talked about the Demond brothers, hasn't it? You know, that was by design. <laughs> I wanted you all to have a very Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year. And I wanted you to make it to Epiphany without the headache that is reading these purity spiraling dishonest snakes attempting to get you to become a slave in their little tiny set of a contest cult plantation. Welcome back to Reading and Evaluating the Demond Brothers. Let's uh, skim over some of the things that they're talking about the saints because uh, thus far we've been talking about how bad they are at arguing for it from scripture. Remember, they have to sneak in a lot of tradition and a lot of logic because the Bible doesn't teach the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, but they really, really, really want you to think that that is the case. I will be going quickly, and I will not be paying too, too much attention to audio quality because I don't respect uh, Peter DeMond or his brother. Continuing on, the Catholic view of heaven, which recognizes the intercession in proper place of the saints, gives full glory to Jesus. The Protestant view takes glory from him. Hmm. Before we even get into their argument, please explain to me, sir, how having somebody pray less often to Jesus gives more and full glory to Jesus. Could you do that for me? No. But all right, let's, let's read what they have to say. To use an analogy... The Catholic view of heaven is like the magnificent palace of a king, where there are dozens of levels of servants and attendants. They wait on the king, and they have dedicated everything to him. They are his true friends, in addition to his servants. Their joy, their lives of service, and their extraordinary example strike each other with awe. All of the king's servants possess their own splendor. It has been given to them as a result of their place of honor in the palace. The king has bestowed some of his own glory on everyone with him, even though theirs is infinitely less than his own. Their personal glory contributes to the glory of the entire palace. The profound glory of the king's servants and friends strikes one with wonder. What must be the unique glory of the king himself, whom all these individuals serve? They go on for like another paragraph without bringing up a single Bible verse. In a book called The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church. Come on, dude. Why don't you bring some Bible into it instead of trying to paint a pretty picture in my brain about King Arthur slash God in his royal court? What the heck, dude? Oh, but he does later on bring in one verse in this section. Uh, Luke 1 verse 46 with Mary saying, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Okay. Does that have anything to do with you imagining a castle? Imagining a royal court. <laughs> the Protestant view is much different. It's comparable to a palace which is filled only with the king. In this palace, there seems to be no one else present. Which king is more glorious? Which image of the heavenly kingdom is the true one? <laughs> which is the biblical one? 
the answer is that the Bible teaches the Catholic view to communion of the saints. <laughs> so according to the DeMond brothers, I can paint a picture in my brain and I can say that somebody else doesn't have the same picture in my brain. Therefore, the Bible proves my doctrines. <laughs> These are the people telling you that you're going to hell for believing in uh, justification by faith alone. The people who think that their mental image in their head is superior to your mental image in your head, and they say that that is infallible doctrine. These are the people saying, you're damned, you're going to hell, pal, do not pass, go, do not collect $200. And yet people take Brother Peter DeMond seriously. I fail to see why. But we continue on to the next section. Maybe he scoops this one up. Maybe in the last quarter, after having spent 86 pages typing uh, diarrhea into his typewriter, maybe, just maybe, he has something that's valid for us. Let's see. The Bible teaches the Catholic view of heaven, of Jesus, and of the saints. It does not teach the Protestant view. Really? Okay, so he, first he cites... Daniel 7, verse 10, a swift stream of fire issued forth from before him. Thousands of thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times a hundred thousand stood before him. The judgment sat, and the books were opened. This passage is striking, not only because it reveals the awesome power of God's judgment and foreknowledge, but because the mind-boggling number of servants who minister to him makes the image even more captivating. Matthew twenty five thirty one. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. God comes with and is glorified by his ministers, his angels, and his saints. Jude 1, verse 14. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. As we see, the Catholic view is clearly the correct and biblical view of the heavenly king in the ordering of the heavenly hierarchy. No, none of those verses prove that. And he apparently does not know what the Protestant view of heaven is, which is, did the Bible say that? Then that's what we believe. If there's ten thousands of ten thousands of people serving God in heaven, sure, Fine. It does not mean that you here on earth can go ask a favor from St. Joseph to make sure that you had winning lottery ticket numbers, pal. Nowhere does the scripture support that. Nowhere does the scripture support the idea that every single one of these minor saints, or Mary, or anybody other than God, is omnipresent and able to mentally process every single request and prayer you make of them. So please, Mr. DeMond, do your damn homework. Oh, though, they don't want to do their homework, do they? Because that would mean that maybe they shouldn't be in some sort of set of occultist sect, right? Set of a Protestantism, whatever you want to call it. It's interesting that they say this. The Bible teaches that saints are models of imitation. We've established that praying to saints is biblical. No, you haven't. In consideration of their great fidelity to Christ... The Bible also teaches that saints are to be imitated and venerated. 
1 Corinthians 4.16 Wherefore I, Paul, beseech you, be ye followers of me. Why? 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Hmm. Okay. So already they're on shaky ground because ultimately you follow Christ. You follow another human being insofar as they teach you to be a follower of Christ. That's kind of what St. Paul is getting at. But, you know, they don't want you to really follow all men, do they? Especially not that one guy out there that's sitting on the papal office. No, they really don't want that. So they say, In truth, a real Christian doesn't follow any man. Rather, this verse means that he venerates the saints and tries to imitate them in their tremendous spiritual lives in fidelity to the gospel. What on earth are you talking about, pal? If y'all were real Catholics, and if you really believe that the Bible proved the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church, you would be going all the way to Unam Sanctam, which said that if you want to be saved, you better submit to the Pope. But y'all aren't submitting to the Pope, are you, Mr. DeMond? Hmm. Okay. Walking a tightrope there, ain't ya? The Bible teaches that God saved 276 for St. Paul. Saints are models of imitation because great saints gain so many graces and so much favor with Christ that their intercession by the grace of Jesus Christ can literally help save lives and souls. To demonstrate this, they bring up Acts chapter 27 verses 21 through 23. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So, the DeMond brothers, playing their usual hat trick, want to tell you, because God gave a message to St. Paul that these people's lives would be saved and his prayers would be answered, you should pray to dead people because they're super powerful. Mm. Mm. That doesn't follow from the text, Peter. That's called the confusion between an is and an ought. You take rote fact from history, things that actually happen, and then you turn that in, you jujitsu that into some ought. Therefore, we should do something that the Bible doesn't put its stamp of approval on. That's called bad hermeneutics, Petey. It doesn't work that way, dumbass. God forbid that the DeMond brothers should read the verse in scripture which said Judas went and hanged himself. And then suddenly they're all like, we're going to kill ourselves in order to get magic space powers. Because Judas was in Jesus' ministry and he hung himself. And therefore, if we want to be in the ministry of Christ like Judas was, we should commit suicide. Please don't, Peter. If this is how you handle scripture, go to a legitimate church. Go to a legitimate pastor who actually reads the Bible and knows how to handle the word of God. Don't read it on your own. 
It's really funny how many Roman Catholic apologists in their more extreme varieties will say the laity shouldn't be reading Bible because look at how they can potentially mishandle it, right? And then they all serve as like the primo example of why they personally should not be handling the Bible. Because if you're going to confuse an is with an ought, you're going to have problems, pal. So then they get to a part here regarding the saints being canonized. The Bible teaches that saints are to be marked out for an example. That's why the Catholic Church canonizes saints. From Philippians 3 verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. That's why the Catholic Church canonizes saints and raises them up for our imitation and veneration. In fact, the Bible does that very thing, marks them out as an example with the champions of the faith in the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, there you go. You got one little ditty there, Mr. DeMond, that yes, the Bible does tell us to mark people out. It is good to look to the examples of the saints. I am very glad for Fox's Book of Martyrs, as well as the stories of the martyrs that were uh, burned to death by the Roman Catholic Church. Womp womp. Then they get into more of confusion between is and ought as they get into relics. The Bible on the relics of saints. The Bible also teaches that even the relics of these saintly men are to be venerated and can be miraculous. First in Matthew 9, 20-22, we see that a woman who touched Jesus' garment was cured of a hemorrhage. Certainly Jesus was God and not a mere saint. Many non-Catholics will say it is superstitious or idolatrous to venerate the relics of saints. But the Bible teaches otherwise. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. They go to Acts 19 verses 11 and 12. God wrought special miracles by the hands of St. Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Nowhere is there an ought that you should therefore collect relics of dead saints and therefore bow down to them and pray to that saint. The cloak of Elijah, they cite. Second Kings two thirteen and 14, he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck it with the water, or struck the water with it. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Still doesn't have a prescription for you, the believer, to bow down to and kiss a relic of a dead saint. You're not going to get blessed because you kissed St. Simeon's toe, okay? The bones of the prophet Elisha raised a man's to life. Second uh, Kings thirteen twenty one. it came to pass as they were burying a man, they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Still does not have a prescription and ought for you as a Christian to make out with the magic foot water of the Orthodox Church and therefore think that you're getting a blessing. There is no ought there. There is no command there. You are showing me very interesting phenomena described in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You are not telling me, therefore, in any 
honest way that I ought to go seek out these relics and kiss them, touch them, bow down to them, and pray to them. There's nothing in the scripture that tells me to do that. In fact, to the contrary, what happened to the bronze serpent that Moses hammered out? There's your homework for the day. See what happened to the bronze serpent and why this thing was destroyed. But on the topic of religious statues, they bring up their argument with Calvinists. Oh, Protestants don't like statues of saints in artwork. And of course, they don't mention the fact that Lutherans and Anglicans are totally cool with statues. There was a whole big controversy of it. We fought against iconoclasts ourselves. No biggie. No, 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 no. They do, however, still lie to you. Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 through 9, Thou shalt not make to thyself a graven thing, nor the likeness of any things that are in heaven above, or that are in the earth beneath, or that abide in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not adore them, and thou shalt not serve them. Thou shalt not adore them, nor serve them. That's the key. That's what God is forbidding. He's forbidding the making of statues or images to worship them or to worship creatures, such as animals, etc., which many Jews were prone to falling into. Catholics do not worship statues or images. To say otherwise is a lie. Catholics only worship God. Images in statues serve as reminders of the holy people and deeds which they represent. Wait a second, pal. Wait a second, pal. Deuteronomy 5.9 says, Thou shalt not adore them, and thou shalt not serve them. Right? What's another word for adore? Venerate. What do you guys do to statues and relics and paintings and icons and stuff? You venerate them? Hmm. Hmm. Methinks the person that's lying here is not the Protestant, Mr. DeMond. Methinks that just for a moment in your argument with iconoclastic Protestants, you're being a little deceitful, especially when you immediately bring up the fiery serpent. We also find God commanding the use of images to cure people, images which, at first thought, some would find surprising or worse. God commanded Moses to make an image of a serpent for the people to look upon and be healed. Citing Numbers 21 verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. So again, here's your homework. Please look up the bronze serpent that Moses made, and look up what happened to it. Because I guarantee you, once you do, you will understand the Protestant problem with the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox use of icons. Now again, I must stress this. We Lutherans, as well as Anglicans, as well as a few others, especially people who are cool with their kids watching Veggie Tales, don't have a problem with religious artwork which depicts religious figures and angels and stuff. What we have a problem with is veneration 
of these icons. We have a problem with praying to saints. We have a problem with seeing these icons and statues and relics as windows into heaven. But of course, because he's all about bringing stuff that isn't Bible into his book entitled The Bible Proves the Teachings of the Catholic Church, brother Peter DeMond brings up Muslims saying that non-Catholics who consider the use of religious statues or images to be idolatrous not only condemn the Bible passages we've just covered, actually they don't, but they also share their belief with Muslims. Muslims abominate such statues and images, and then he talks about some church history in Emperor Leo III, which has nothing to do with the Bible actually demonstrating whether or not his beliefs as a quote-unquote Roman Catholic are true. In fact, he brings up the Second Council of Nicaea in 787, which has nothing to do with whether the Bible demonstrates the truth of Roman Catholic doctrine. Again, and again and again, if you think the Bible proves the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church, you're wrong. And these people are like the number one proof that it doesn't. Because they keep bringing stuff up that isn't from the Bible and claiming that that is the Bible proving it. But quote-unquote, Brother Peter DeMond just can't help himself in thinking that somehow he has proved something. In this next section, skipping a page here, he says, The evidence is irrefutable that praying to saints is biblical. No, it's not. Literally nothing you have proffered as evidence, Mr. DeMond, is proof from the Bible that praying to saints is legitimate nor biblical. It's just not. This is why the people that are not set of a contest those who hold to an authoritative capital T tradition in the Roman Catholic Church don't feel the need to prove all of this from Scripture. They just say that the magisterium is infallible. So if they say something that the Bible doesn't support, if it's something added to or extra from it, the Roman Catholic Church just accepts that because that's capital T tradition. They admit this. They admit this. At least my Roman Catholic friends are honest. You don't have to lie to try to claim that your worldview as a Roman Catholic is 100% biblical. It's not. At least me and my Roman Catholic friends can get into the differences between respecting RCC tradition or disrespecting it or being somewhere in between. We can talk about that, but if you want to claim that the Bible is going to prove every minutiae doctrine of Roman Catholic stuff, why are you a set of a contest? Why are you in the position that you're in? Are you a deep thinker at all, or are you just a team thinker? Are you a denominationalist that's mad at your Baptist dad or something? Could you please answer these questions, Mr. DeMond? But of course he doesn't do that. Of course he gets into Catholic saints spread the gospel all over the earth. Neener, neener, neener. The miracles, the missionary efforts in the lives of Catholic saints have been among the most important instruments in the spread of the gospel throughout the earth. What kind of gospel, Peter? What kind of gospel? 
Is it your gospel? The one where Jesus is nothing more than a down payment on you paying off your salvation? Come on, bud. Is that really what these saints were teaching? All of what the Catholic saints are and have done is by the grace of Jesus Christ. By cooperating with it, they spiritually conquered the world for Christ, a world that is sadly falling into apostasy and abandoning the Christian Catholic heritage which defined it. You know, Roman Catholic Magisterium, like their history, their statements, their councils, everything defines you as a schismatic and an apostate because you are not in submission to the pontiff of Rome because you are a set of a contest. Do you understand the problem with what you are saying? It was the Catholic saint, St. Patrick, who brought the faith of Jesus to Ireland. It was the Catholic saint, St. Boniface, who brought the gospel to Germany. It was the Catholic saint, St. Augustine of Canterbury, who brought the gospel to the Angles, to England. It was the Catholic saint, St. Francis Javier, who brought the gospel to much of Asia and to the Far East. And in the 16th and 17th centuries, it was the Catholic saints and missionaries, especially Jesuits, who definitively brought the gospel to North and South America. Yeah, also about that. Um, when it comes to Francis Javier bringing the gospel to Asia, do you remember the, the Fumier stones? Do you remember how the Jesuits screwed up that mission so badly that the Japanese responded to it with massive persecution for 300 years? Like, I'm not casting shade at the efforts of missionaries. Good on them. I'm sure many of these Catholic missionaries are good people. Great. They're bringing the gospel to pagans that have no idea what they're doing. Um, did you mention that at the same time the Roman Catholic Church was advocating for other Christians of the Lutheran variety and the Calvinist variety to die? And they were orchestrating wars against them? So you're, on the one hand bringing the gospel to people, and on the other, extinguishing people who believe in the gospel at the same stinking time. Like, seriously, the Roman Catholic Church has this schizophrenic history with the gospel, where half of the time they're trying to spread the gospel to people that don't know their right hand from their left, and on the other hand, they're killing people for believing in the gospel. What gives? Like, are you willing to talk about the blemishes of your own history there, Mr. DeMond? Are you willing to talk about the Thirty Years' War? Are you willing to talk about heretics, quote-unquote, being burned at the stake and how the Catholic Church would always keep its hands ever so clean by saying, nah, we just told a prince to burn him at the stake. We didn't actually do it. So really, the Church doesn't do anything to kill heretics. <laughs> yeah, come on. Deal with your history honestly before you start parading it around and uh, <clears throat> rubbing your own feet, so to speak, about your, uh, your accomplishments. So from there, we are going to skip a chapter because the DeMond brothers want to talk about baptismal regeneration and infant baptism, which I, as a Lutheran, already affirm. I affirm baptismal regeneration. I affirm infant baptism, and I don't believe that baptism has to be by immersion only. So it's kind of a next moment. But later on, and please feel free to email me if you want my commentary on it, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. 
if you want to talk about their bizarre thought that uh, baptism equals justification. Now, next week we will get into, oh boy, why they think purgatory is biblical. To guarantee you it's not, but they're going to get into it and it's going to be dumb. Can't flip and wait. <laughs> Not gonna lie, guys, I actually do have fun doing these because, because honestly, guys, it's nice to cut loose and just pour contempt on contemptible, self-proclaimed teachers in the church that have no business teaching whatsoever. Like, Peter DeMond has no right teaching the scriptures if this is how he handles the scriptures. He has no right telling you what to believe if this is what he believes. Simple as. Somebody that doesn't do their freaking homework, that doesn't actually study how to read the Bible, somebody who is this bad at everything that they think and everything that they believe, really shouldn't be behind a pulpit, and they shouldn't be part of a quote-unquote monastery or anything like that. It's embarrassing. So I'm just going to laugh at it, and uh, you're invited to laugh too. <laughs> all right, we'll catch you all next week for it. Until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.